Hello, and welcome to the Bookbat Podcast, here to help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlissa J. And I am the other co-host, Jason Coop, and I have a very serious question for you. What do we do to help them navigate? Do you offer a GPS or something like that? Ha ha ha. giving them information to guide them on their journey to Christian fantasy. That sounds like some new age hocus pocus. <laughs> Well, basically, it's talking about books that they could be reading, authors they could get to know, or just and how to thoughts. Under- yeah, and understanding authors that they may have already read and get to know them better and why Concepts. they wrote what they did. Yeah. So this is an episode I've been wanting to do for a while, but I always don't feel like I know enough yet. I don't think you could ever know enough about it, but you know enough to push back my episode about manga. To the next episode so you know sorry to the manga you're gonna have to wait till next time mm-hmm. so i didn't know who george mcdonald was before doing research for christian fantasy 101 you didn't think he was old mcdonald no did he have a farm no oh man this falls <laughs> apart <laughs> uh i think it's a shame he's not more well known because he was a thoughtful storyteller and played an important role in the creation of classic christian fantasy so for this episode I'm going to list off 10 things you should know about George MacDonald. Is one of which that he didn't have a farm? Well, we can make that 11, I guess. <laughs> a little bonus tidbit there. He did not have a farm. So sad. <laughs> Number one, he was born in Scotland. All I mean, let's writer. provide context here. Yeah, yeah. it provides context, but really, let's face it. How many of the classic writers came from specifically Britain-type area? Like, classic fantasy authors and classic like Britain, Scotland, Ireland, that sort of thing. Yeah. Sorry, it just seems to be a common trope. Maybe it's because they wrote in English or something. I don't know. Yeah, that maybe it's the classic English literature because it's where English came from. <laughs> <laughs> so what do the French got? <laughs> yeah, probably other languages have we their own. Make, we should make this a contest, you know. As English people, we have Lewis, Tolkien, and George MacDonald. Who the French cat? <laughs> All right. George MacDonald, number two, lived from 1824 to 1905, which would include what we call the Victorian era. I think that's where we believe everything started and stopped in or something like that. It that, seems to be a popular time period. Yeah, very romanticized, and I don't get well, why. Well, a mix of either romanticized or there's a lot of people nowadays who disdain the Victorian era and are like, oh, so many terrible things came out of the Victorian era. It's like, I think it was a pretty mixed bag. <laughs> Couldn't you say that about any era, really? Probably. Yeah. Just ask somebody about the 1950s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, number three... George MacDonald is considered one of the founders of the fantasy genre. The more I look into the start of the fantasy genre, the more confused I get. It's not a very clear-cut, like, this is when fantasy started kind of thing. But, well, yeah, people have been making up stories since day one. Yeah, and when do you, uh, what we would now call the first fantasy novels, uh, in their day, they were marketed as fairy tales and romances. Well, fair enough, because let's face it, fantasy is so broad, like... How Nowadays we... it is, but yeah. No, but it's just the just word fantasy, of... Yeah, not unless there was another translation for the word back in the day. If it's anything like it is today, just the word fantasy, to use that to describe a piece of literature 
that doesn't do a whole lot. It just means it has something fantastical in it. But anyway, George MacDonald was considered important in starting off what eventually, you know, after his lifetime, got called fantasy. I wonder if that bites at all. You know, just you start something that you didn't know was a thing, then it becomes a thing, and by the time it becomes a thing, you're not even around. Probably that happens with a lot of stuff. Mm, fair enough. Though, yeah, in that note, uh, we should note that saying that he's one of the founders, he actually predated Lewis and Tolkien because yes. I know a lot, at least a lot of the people I've hung out with in the Christian evangelical circles, they tend to believe that, oh, Christian fantasy started, and in some cases is stopped, with <laughs> Lewis and Tolkien. And I'm like, uh, what? Nope, this predates them, and we're going to get to Lewis and Tolkien shortly. Cool. Because there's connections between George MacDonald and them, even though they lived... You know, after he had died. Well, yeah, it's kind of like they're the next generation. And he's the one that got it started and they popularized it. They made it cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, one of his friends gained a lot more fame than he did. So fun fact number four, George MacDonald and his family are the reason Lewis Carroll decided to publish Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Wait, so, so who's George in those stories? <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite. Oh, darn so, it. Lewis Carroll, a.k.a. Charles Dodson, Dodgson, Old Charlie, um, <laughs> was a family friend of George MacDonald. And he had come up with the Alice's Adventures in Wonderland stories and read them to George MacDonald's kids. Originally, he wasn't planning on getting them published because he thought it was maybe not good enough for publishing. But George MacDonald and his family were like, no, this is great. Try to get, get this published. And so... Wow, this is like a George McDonald was responsible for one of his friends becoming famous, pretty much. <laughs> famous by association. <laughs> well, George McDonald was famous in his own right in his day. But... but it didn't really last. Yeah, whereas we still remember. Lewis. Yeah. Well, I guess, no, Charlie. Old Charlie. <laughs> Should I call him Chuck? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. So, number five. He played an important part in C.S. Lewis's conversion to Christianity through his novel, Fantasties. So Fantasties was his, we would nowadays call it his first fantasy novel. It was uh, his first long fairy tale novel <laughs> that okay. he, that got marketed as a romance. Wait, what? Uh, that's even the title is, it's Fantasties, a fairy romance for men and women. Huh. Sorry, I'm just trying to picture somebody selling a book with that title today. Yeah, maybe not today. That'd be interesting. But anyway, C.S. Lewis says one of the things that started him on the road to Christianity was finding a copy of Fantasties and reading it and finding something enchanting that he didn't quite know how to put his finger on. And in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, uh, he has George MacDonald as one of the main characters. So the protagonist meets George MacDonald, recognizes who he is, and goes on this kind of rambly speech as best he can of explaining how much reading Fantasties changed his life and set him on a different course. I guess kind of C.S. Lewis thinking about if I were to meet George MacDonald in heaven, how would I explain to him what he meant to me? And they say you can't get personal as a writer. <laughs> so on that note for number six, George MacDonald actually inspired much of C.S. Lewis's theology. To the degree that C.S. Lewis called him my master, 
Lewis also published a book featuring many quotes from his master called George MacDonald. So, yeah, I didn't mention George MacDonald wasn't just a fairy tale author. He was also, uh, he also wrote theology and essays and To be honest, lots of stuff. I get the impression that was actually relatively common for that time period for these more learned, well, theologians, philosophers, that kind of thing, for then just as a way for them to process and think through new concepts to go through them in the form of fantasies and fairy tales where frankly there are no rules to live (laughs) by so you can kind of just the whole thing's more of a big what if scenario that you can play around with and Hmm, stuff like that as opposed to no i have to crank out so many books every year or whatever it's more just no that's just kind of came out he did write a couple other novels too that no, weren't but i'm saying it wasn't a day job for him where he had to no or felt like he was under any pressure to have to write this book no you know it's not like he was under it's a more book. of a passion thing yeah it wasn't like it, he was under a contract you know to not as far as i know X. no no but he wasn't under contract to sell to publish x amount of books through this publishing company or whatever mm. it's more hey here's a book do you want to publish it? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> the number seven, George MacDonald also inspired J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien wrote an essay called On Fairy Stories, which appears to draw from MacDonald's article, The Fantastic Imagination. Tolkien also complimented MacDonald's mastery of the magical aspects of fairy stories in that article or in that essay. So I think in some ways, I would say we can credit Christian fantasy coming into its own in part from George MacDonald. Number eight, he was briefly a pastor. However, some leaders in his congregation didn't like his teaching and greatly reduced his salary until he quit. Well, I guess that's one way. That's to one way to hint that you don't want him around. Yeah, without actually kicking him out. <laughs> yeah. Let's see here. How do we get rid of this guy without actually getting rid of him? I know. Let's just cut his pay. Brilliant. Yeah. Some historians nowadays will just kind of summarize it as they basically kicked him out <laughs> the equivalent that they could do without being you know Jerks forceful or anything yeah huh now i haven't read enough of mcdonald's writing to get a sense of his theology and stuff like that but just curious do you have any idea what possibly so there are multiple people explain it in multiple different ways uh one thing i read said it was just he wasn't calvinist enough for them Oh, he was part of a very staunchly Calvinist and he came from at least a partially Calvinist background, but kind of but picked and cho- chose which things he actually believed were true and carried forward and which things he was like. I'm not sure about that. Oh, so more just, yeah, his congregation or mm-hmm. whatever expected certain stances or whatever. And he mm-hmm. wasn't and he was there on yeah. at least some mm-hmm. of them. Yeah. So nowadays, people will often mention that George MacDonald was a universalist, which means someone who believes that everybody will eventually get to heaven. Except when you just use the word universalist, you get in a picture of your mind in your mind of what they mean by that, I think. That actually reading George MacDonald, he actually did talk a lot about God's wrath against sin and the difficulty of salvation. Uh, if you read Lilith... The way he explains everybody eventually submitting to God is it's more like 
kind of uses the comparison of death. It's like this inevitable thing that some people may embrace it and some people will do all they can to run from it. But the way of nature is you're going to die anyway. So he kind of takes salvation in that that perspective of it's kind of this force of nature eventually everyone will submit to god to have their sins removed even if it involves a lot of kicking and screaming and fighting along the way there well that kind of fits with the whole you know every knee will bow before Mm -hmm. him type picture that you know tends to get promoted in one (laughs) version or another it's an interesting perspective i think it's just calling him a universalist doesn't really do it justice because a lot of universalism that we picture is just god couldn't seriously you know be that wrathful to punish people so severely for their sins kind of thing but george mcdonald had no problem with the idea of god being wrathful and punishing people for their sins it was just this idea that eventually we all must be purified of our sins whether or not we want to be initially because nobody wants to be Anyway, interesting perspective. Uh, Number nine, so after, sometime after this firing, his teachings were still pretty widely read and respected. Like theological teachings? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. So he went on a teaching tour, theology teaching tour, yeah, throughout the United, through the United States. The number 10 reason why you should know, what you should know about George MacDonald is he wrote thoughtful and enchanting fantasy novels and fairy tales. And I think more people should read his stuff. That's fair. That's something that I've often wondered about. Like, we often talk about it like it's just more of a modern day problem of, oh, there's just, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Just we don't know it exists because there's too much out there or whatever. It's like, no, there's actually a lot of good stuff out there that goes back a long ways Mm -hmm. that we may not think of because, okay, what's that magazine from or whatever that, it's Christian book or something like that. What the heck? Oh, yeah. Christian book. Uh, the catalog. Yeah, the catalog. And one thing that I can't help but notice is that, one, there's like no fantasy section, not unless you count Armageddon type stories, which there's I... There's very ref- little for fiction in the Christian book catalog. <laughs> oh, just period. Okay. Just period. Yeah. Oh, wow. So inevitably, if there is any fantasy, you could almost bet that 80 plus percent of it is Lewis's stuff. And maybe the Wingfeather Saga, because... Actually, I don't think I've that. seen the Wingfeather Saga. No, I saw it in the last one. Oh, in the last you, one? In the last oh, okay. one you had, I don't know if it was in this one, but the one before that, I saw that. Oh, okay. I p- poked through that one looking to find fantasy, and all I found was Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, his Space Trilogy, mm-hmm. which was a little surprising to be honest. They advertise that a lot too, yeah. Really? Shockingly. How many people actually read the Space Trilogy? Yeah, I want to know that. I'm very curious about that one. <laughs> anyway, and I and then I saw the Wingfeather Saga because especially since through Angel Studios and anim- it's been turned into an animated show, yeah, everybody's trying to get in on it. So... I'm just saying, like, you know, the average Christian person looking through their Christian bookstore or whatever, what's being pushed at you isn't isn't George McDonald's stuff, quite frankly. Yeah, they don't have a big section for classics. It's kind of It tends to be kind of sadly short. It's pretty modern for the most part. Yeah. Yes, I put on a bonus fact. Yeah, I noticed that and I was waiting for that one. He loved nature and had fun things like tree spirits and talking animals show up in his story wonder if that inspired lewis at all or maybe just that was more common you know george mcdonald had some it's very interesting reading his his stuff just how nature connected it is 
Yeah, I enjoyed that. I think that's part of its enchantment and how it does magic so well is creating a sense that nature is so much deeper and more complex than we often give it credit for. That's something else that's fun that I've learned from researching more of C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien. Something we never mention is they were kind of environmentalists. (laughs) Tolkien actually... Uh, sold his car when he realized how much damage highways and creating highways did to the environment. He decided he didn't want to drive a car anymore. Wow. (laughs) Good on him. And then C.S. Lewis has, uh, in a kind of warning, frightfully kind of gory (laughs) scene, uh, he has in um, This Hideous Strength, That Hideous Strength. Oh, okay. Um, The one that I'll never read because it's it's, apparently painfully It's long. long. There's these people who are... Uh, pushing for progress and kind of modernity kind of thing and they end up destroying this beautiful forest area yeah build this one thing they in the end get torn apart by wild animals in a rather gory scene that i think (laughs) probably had some meaning to it (laughs) these people who destroyed the wilderness get torn apart by wild animals in the end yeah, that doesn't work that's not that very way. subtle. <laughs> well, it also doesn't work that way, quite frankly, because you kill wildlife settings. The wildlife is the first to suffer. The wildlife doesn't all band together and go after, go, hmm, uh, our was, homes were destroyed. Kill the humans! Well, it's kind of a supernatural thing because they were also doing experiments on animals, so they had all these wild animals in cages for doing experiments. And oh, because wow. of a so series really of, went in on this. Because of a series of supernatural events and stuff, the animals end up getting loose inside a room where all these evil people are meeting and yeah just taking vengeance yeah wow (laughs) sides of c.s lewis and tolkien that we don't talk about (laughs) (laughs) all right i guess that's it for this episode yes and hopefully next one we'll get to the one about manga and graphic novels something that we should pay more attention to people (laughs) because they are good they're awesome so there be sure to follow us at book-bat.com and please leave a like and comment or review of this podcast wherever you get it and yeah we'll see you on the next one bye